You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Thursday night, and we all know what that means. It's time for the epic feature of Thursday Night Football. I feel like a fraud some weeks when I say it. I feel like a fraud some weeks when I try and tell you that it's a game worth watching. But tonight, it's a game worth watching, not just because it's two brands that mean so much to so many NFL fans, but because there are real playoff implications on the line and there's real pressure. The question is, who's got more of it? It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz hanging out with the great Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Courtney, this is the first time you and I have gotten to spend an entire show together. I am mega pumped for it. I am ready for all of the excitement and energy. Are you ready to get this thing rolling? I am so excited. This is the first time since I started doing ESPN Radio in 2019. I think one of my first shows was Spain and Company. With the aforementioned Sarah Spain, who's out tonight, and that's who I'm filling in for. So, I mean, this is this is this is fun because usually it's we have you on for like a hot second on Tuesdays to talk about the college football playoff rankings, and then you just kind of go in your million directions. I don't know where you are half the time. It's like, is he in Connecticut? Is he in Nashville? Is he, you know, in Las Vegas following the Raiders? Who knows? But this is going to be fun. I'm excited. I am usually somewhere running around like Kermit the Frog with my arms flailing, trying to figure out how to get to where I'm going next. It's a busy time of year for you. That's the only thing I know. By the way, listen to the Man in the Arena podcast. It's a 10-part series exploring how sports impacts our everyday lives through the lens of Tom Brady's career. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Need to finance a home like a pro? Rocket can. I can tell you that I'm part of the After the Arena reaction shows that are on ESPN Plus and on all of our socials. And I've had the opportunity so far to see five or six of the episodes. And they're incredible. Go check them out, even if you're not a Tom Brady fan like I am not. It's still worth checking out. Now, tonight's football game, obviously worth checking out because we have the Cowboys taking on the Saints. And it raises a question of pressure. And this is interesting to me, Courtney, because Damian Woody, ESPN NFL analyst, said this about the pressure tonight uh, on Barton Hahn earlier today. I feel like it's a must-win game for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, you look at the New Orleans Saints, you know, particularly on offense, they got a plethora of players out. Obviously, you know, uh, Taysom Hill is is the new is a starting quarterback, and he's going to bring a different flavor. But even he's hurt, you know, with the with the with the lower leg injury. Um, so, listen, the Dallas Cowboys, they got guys coming back. Um, you know, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper coming back at the wide receiver spot. So, man, if they want to reestablish themselves as a contender in the NFC. You got to win this game. It's not going to be easy because it's in New Orleans, and New Orleans is always a tough place to play. And on the de- you know New Orleans defense, the proper group bar can speak to that. But if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you have to win this game. If you don't win this game, man, it's going to be basically the same thing we always say about the Cowboys. You know, they they you look good on paper. They start they start off fast, but then come November around Thanksgiving, they always find a way to implode. All right, so I'm going to say something, Courtney, I rarely say about Damian Woody when he's you know close to me because he's much larger than I am, but Woody's wrong. And uh, to me, it's, he's wrong because of where these teams lie in the standings right now. It, to me, the Cowboys don't have a ton of pressure because they're not going to catch – Uh, the Cardinals for the top seed overall in the NFC most likely. And I don't see the Eagles catching them for the NFC East. So what, what their focus is, is getting right, getting healthy and making sure they've got good rhythm going into the playoffs. But the saints are actually playing for something. They're playing for trying to get into the playoffs. 
Right, and they've got the highest swing, or I guess the largest swing of any team in the NFC versus what a win means for them and what a loss means. I mean, they they get their playoff chances boosted, and this is all according to our um, ESPN FPI projections, like to you know like fifty eight percent, and then that drops to like twenty percent with a loss. So. That's huge. Um, excuse me, 53% with a win, 20% with a loss. I think what Damien's saying, though, is just really like the overall picture of what this Cowboys team is. They start out 6-1. and one. They have the greatest offense ever since uh, Greatest Show on Turf, right? And then they lose three of their last four games. In the Christmas Day game against the Vegas Raiders, you know, Kansas City before then, Denver on the 7th of November, and it looks like their offense is broken. So from the sense in prime time and showing, you know, establishing dominance in the NFC, the whole thing, I get it from that perspective. But, like, let's look at their schedule here for the final five games of the season beyond the New Orleans game tonight. They've got Washington twice. They've got the Giants. They've got Arizona. And they've got Philly. The only hard game in there is Arizona. Maybe Philly breaks one off there at the end of the season. I don't know. I still think that they're going to be out of the wild card picture, but it's not a hard stretch. You have all of your division games basically in these final five of six weeks. You're going to be fine if you're Dallas because at worst you are winning the the outright bid for the NFC East because no one's going to catch you at that point. Yeah, and I keep looking at the other side of, of pressure. Not only is there pressure, when you talk about the Saints side of it, about trying to make the playoffs, but there's also pressure of trying to prove – what nobody else seems to see with Taysom Hill. And at some point, you know, there has to be some proof of concept. He just signs a mega deal that essentially allows him to be who he is, but also allows him to grow into being a starting quarterback. And he still wants to be a starting quarterback. Now he gets the opportunity to prove that he can be. And fantasy owners everywhere are trying to figure out if they should play him tonight or not. And, you know, at some point, because we give so much benefit of the doubt to Sean Payton, it feels like we want to presume this is going to work out. But you can only presume that so long until you actually see it. So I think that's an extra layer of pressure that the Saints are facing. Yeah, and I mean, with Taysom Hill, like now you have a spot, a chance to be like, all right, is he actually going to be in the mix for next season? Because regardless of if they win or if they lose, I mean, you're still a bottom-tier NFC team going into the postseason. But are you thinking about next season, whether you want to be in the mix for potentially a Russell Wilson or somebody else that might come available via trade because they want out of their current spot, or if you want to hit the free agent market, depending upon what happens with Jameis Winston, now's Taysom Hill's chance to show, hey, I'm more than just this Swiss Army knife piece in this offense, and he's going to be with the Saints for a very long time. We know that from the contract. But beyond that, we can see, does, do they start to, can they start to solidify, hey, we actually have a legitimate option at quarterback more than just the gimmicky or fill-in that he's been really throughout his entire career in New Orleans? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz hanging out with Courtney Cronin. Now, obviously, we'll keep you updated on the game as it uh, goes on tonight, but we also want to give you guys a chance to be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. I tweeted it out there. We're putting it out there for you guys. It is now officially December, so we can end all of the conversation about whether or not it's okay to start listening to Christmas music. So figured we'd ask everybody what their kickoff Christmas jam is. It doesn't matter when you kick the season off. What's the one song you absolutely have to listen to? Courtney, where are you on kicking Christmas off? Is there like one song that's a go-to for you? 
Okay, so you know that like I'm not a huge, huge Christmas person. It doesn't mean I don't like Christmas music. Mm. It's just that I was in getting my nails done yesterday, and I heard the same eight Christmas songs on loop. So two days into December, I'm Christmas musicked out. Oh. But I, whoever sings the last Christmas song, like the original one from the 80s, I should know this offhand. I'm Wham. sorry I don't. Wham, I got Wham. you on that. Wham. Um, thank you. I love that song. Um, there's also this really sad song by Kenny Rogers, um, about like Santa, please bring me my daddy for Christmas. It's a really, really sad song, like heartbreaking. But I remember like my dad used to listen to it with my brother and I and would kind of explain about like why Christmas is difficult for some people, um, people being down on their luck, the whole thing. So basically I like sad Christmas songs or songs about breakups at Christmas. So I don't know what that makes me, but I don't want to listen to Mariah Carey. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, look, I, I mean, a lot of Christmas songs are sad. And true story, when I was in a band years ago that never made it, we opened for Kenny Rogers for a substantial amount of time. Kenny turned out to be a huge influence in my life. But when I was a little kid, I my go-to Christmas record as a little kid was the Kenny Rogers Christmas record. And I listened to it so much that my mom just wanted to kill mm-hmm. me every year with that. So the first time I met Kenny, I was like, yeah, my mom says I can, can't listen to your Christmas record anymore. So I'm with <laughs> you on the Kenny Rogers thing. Uh, I think, um, though, like Carol of the Bells, any of the Carol of the Bells that are really dramatic, like David Foster has a version of one, like that orchestral thing that's like really mm-hmm. going for it. That might be my go-to kickoff jam because it makes me want to run through a wall. You guys can tweet us. It's at Courtney R. Cronin. It's at Jason Fitz. It's at Spade and Fitz. That's how you can get in on the fun. Tell us what kicks off the Christmas season for you. What's the go-to jam? Also, by the way, George Michael wrote last Christmas, which means he still gets paid on it, as the state does, all the way to this day. All right, the NFL came down with the thunder of the gods on a star player. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on the ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I am like a gremlin that has been given food after midnight or water after midnight. Like, I am insatiable at this point with the Christmas content. The Christmas sweaters it out. And and as a result, I'm making Courtney Cronin suffer, mostly because I know that Sarah (laughs) wouldn't let me do this. So I'm making sure that I get in my Christmas. It is your show. You can do whatever you want. Oh, Spade and Fitz, by the way. Sarah's uh, off tonight. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. And uh, you guys can tweet us what's your go-to kickoff Christmas jam. What starts the season whenever you start it? Doesn't matter if it's uh, December 23rd or, like me, November 1st. What's the song that you have to listen to to really get in your feels on it? So uh, we'll keep coming down with some of those tweets as we get them. But we got to get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, you know, I often use the term thunder of the gods. And uh, what I mean by that is a punishment that comes from a league, whatever that league might be, that is so eye-opening that everybody takes a step back and says, holy you know what. And there are times that I think that's important, Courtney. There are times that I think that if the league doesn't make a massive statement, then the statement they've made is, go ahead. And an instance of that would be when they find Aaron Rodgers essentially a a really quality lunch with his offensive lineman for lying about so many things around COVID. Well, the opposite has happened now because Tampa Bay Bucks wide receiver Antonio Brown has been suspended three games for violating the COVID-19 protocols. The, The league announces the league and the players union found that Brown was among three players that misrepresented their vaccination statuses. And as a result, they will be suspended without pay. So for anybody that says not a big deal, Antonio Brown's already injured right now. Well, the suspensions are without pay. So he's going to lose three game checks. So uh, that is a, a massive, I think, start for the league looking at it saying, if you're going to fake your vaccination status and we catch you, 
then we're going to make sure that we come down with you so harshly to you so harshly that you feel that you can't do that again. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that's so egregious about this. And I know people are going to want to compare this to Aaron Rodgers and look at the Antonio Brown, um, Mike Edwards situation. There's another player, too, that is now a free agent. But there's three players that in a release today, the NFL came down very hard on. And many are going to wonder, well, why didn't they come down as hard on Aaron Rodgers outside of, you know, a fine that's effectively chump change for an MVP quarterback? I tend to think it's because of the vaccination card and just fit. There's, there's a level you go to, to fake your status where you have fake documentation. It just feels so icky. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, used a word immunized and danced around the subject and put himself in a spot where, you know, until he got caught, he could just say, well, yeah, like I said this, that's what I'm using as my proof that I'm fine and I don't need to be vaccinated or, I mean, that I am vaccinated, I'm making you think I'm vaccinated. Antonio Brown went as far to get a fake vaccination card. That's, there's just something so dirty about that in itself where it's like you went to that length to do this, to not just be like, no, I'm not vaccinated, I'm, I'm fine, like I'm not going to be vaccinated, whatever, you don't have to be. You went and lied in the form of fake documentation. I think that's why the NFL came down so heavily on him and, you know, the other two players that were lumped into that mix too who are also going to be suspended for three games. Well, and, and you're right because when you think about one thing the NFL made clear, and we, we don't know, but one thing that the NFL at least made clear in the beginning – with Aaron Rodgers was that they looked at the film from inside the facility and found that when nobody was around, he was following all of the protocols. Now, if you buy that and maybe you want to buy some uh, oceanfront property in Arizona, like we all know that that seems a little bit laughable. We don't know if it's true. But what we do know is that by completely falsifying the records for Antonio Brown, you're lying to your team, you're lying to your teammates, and you're also then no longer following any of the protocols in any situation that you're supposed to be following. So, you know, I think that that's part of why it hits differently. And now, according to some reports at this point, Antonio Brown has been uh, vaccinated. And so apparently he's come in and said, you know, uh, that, that, hey, I, I realized uh, that I shouldn't have done this and I'm sorry. Well, are you? this is that age old, are you sorry you did it or sorry you got caught? Because uh, this all comes from a controversy around Antonio Brown not paying his personal chef. I mean, you think about the ten grand that he owed his personal chef. That would have been way cheaper to keep him quiet than three game checks, Courtney. Like, it's a, that's a, a staggering amount of money to lose for any player at this point. For, for them to turn around and try and walk it back, there's just no way A.B. can. Yeah, I mean, there's... You know, this is such a situation where, I mean, I don't know what he was tweeting a few minutes ago. Uh, I was trying to make sense of it. He just tweeted, A.B. Arabian. Um, I don't know what that means, but that's on his Twitter account. I was expecting some, like, formal apology for this, but I have not seen it, at least just in the form of his social media, where I don't, I th I don't think he is sorry. I think this is a situation that he would have kept on this charade for as long as possible, and... How long that? How much longer until the NFL would have found out what if it would have been any worse um, circumstances down the line? Who knows? But at this point, he's, you know, kind of, you know, the, the phrases die with the lie, right? And uh, he got caught before he was allowed to do that. Well, and Lewis Riddick, Monday Night Football uh, analyst extraordinaire, was on Canteen Golick Jr. and broke down his thoughts on the Antonio Brown suspension. This is what he had to say: When you're falsifying, you know 
documents and proof of vaccination cards, you know, this is something that speaks to not just trying to keep the NFL on, on track and trying to keep players healthy and trying to keep their families healthy. I mean, this is a global issue. This is, you don't want people now who aren't vaccinated and, and we understand what, you know, how that affects the rest of the population and how it affects you in particular. And, and there's a reason why, you know, that you have different protocols that you need to follow when you aren't vaccinated. Well, if you're lying about that, I mean, if you're flat out telling people, yeah, I'm vaccinated via a falsified vaccination card, then, I mean, how the hell are we ever going to really be able to get our arms around this thing? Yeah, and, and it's such a smart point there, too, when you think about the the attempted information, Courtney. And, and like, I, I don't know, I don't want to oversimplify this, but everybody that's on the field has gone through the same processes. They've all gone through their own research, as we hear that that term all the time. And they're they're feeling safe because for the players that have chosen to be vaccinated, because they believe that they're playing with other players that have also followed the same protocol. Like the amount of people that this sort of discredits and, and disrespects in the process to me is one of the more stunning aspects about it for Antonio Brown, because he's doing all of this essentially not just to himself and to his team, but also to everybody that's shared uh, any time with him in the locker room, everybody that's shared any time with him on the field, everybody he's talked to afterwards, like the, the amount of close contact protocol that this could have created is just, that's a staggering risk to give everybody else just because he didn't want to do it. And then not just didn't want to do it, but didn't want to follow the very simple protocols that are laid out for people that don't want to do it. Like if you don't want to get vaccinated, there was a collectively bargained path. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, at least choose to follow those rules. Yeah. And I mean, like I cover an NFL team, the Minnesota Vikings, and it's a vastly big spectrum of those who are vaccinated and are vocal about it versus those who won't and, and will not and don't want to get it done. And I mean, I think that I haven't run into a situation, at least like behind the scenes of, of hearing about people who are that, you know, disregarding uh, of other people's health and safety just because they're they don't want to follow the protocols. Like this seems like a very serious situation and sounds like he's paying for it. Yeah, well, in three games, again, is a pretty massive uh, statement by the league. So I'm happy that the NFL at least came out and said, hey, we're not going to allow certain things to happen, and that includes that. It's Thursday night. Thursday night means, of course, Thursday night football. Like we told you, we got the Cowboys taking on the Saints. But this is a Cowboys team that's going to be getting a couple of important pieces back to their offense. The question is, will it get them back on track, and what should we expect? We'll ask one of our favorite experts about all of that and more next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We've asked you guys on uh, on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to chime in. What's your kickoff Christmas jam? Like the song that really gets you into the spirit. We'll get some straight talk, by the way, uh, on the Cowboys coming out. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. And we do that by heading over to my good friend Shereen Williams. You can check her out on Pro Football Talk. Obviously, more history around the Cowboys than most. Shereen, we'll start with the most important thing I can ask you that anybody's asked you all day. What's your go-to, like, kickoff the Christmas season jam? Like, is there a favorite Christmas song for you? Mm, I like all the traditional stuff, but but any of it is fantastic. I, I really like Christmas music, although I don't like it before Thanksgiving. So we're in a good period right now. We've got the lights up, and we can start with the music. Although it's 80 degrees in Dallas-Fort Worth, so it doesn't feel like Christmas yet. That is that is. Uh, we'll we'll agree to disagree on the Thanksgiving thing, but I respect the rest of the take. So uh, let's get to the Cowboys then, because obviously uh, all eyes are going to be on this offense and what they look like. What's a reasonable expectation for Amari Cooper tonight in productivity? 
Well, you know, Mike McCarthy was just on his pregame radio show. Obviously, he's from home in Dallas-Fort Worth and he's going to be watching the game. But he says they're going to pace Amari Cooper early in this game to kind of see where his conditioning level is and to have him in the fourth quarter if it's a close game. They know they'll have him and not wear him out. So I wouldn't look for him to play a ton in maybe the first quarter as they kind of test him out where he is, but probably there on some passing downs and, and really when they need him, when they need uh, some first downs on third downs. But, you know, they've, they've got a good chance to, to win this game with all the injuries that the Saints have, especially on offensively. Shereen, what's if you look at the last three or four games and the loss on Thanksgiving Day, you know, a lot of AFC West opponents apparently just really give the Cowboys offense a tough time. (laughs) What is the crux of their issue offensively after the six and one start and now the skid to seven and four? Yeah, Courtney, it's a great point. I I think a lot of it stems from Ezekiel Elliott's knee injury. He's got a knee bruise in there and and really hasn't been the same running back uh, in these last few games. And you've seen it with his production. It's just gone down and down and down. His snap counts have gone down. And Tony Pollard has gone up. And I love Tony Pollard. I think they're a great one-two punch. But Tony Pollard is not Ezekiel Elliott. And they need both of those guys, particularly Ezekiel Elliott, in there uh, running the football. So they haven't been effective at running the football. So teams have loaded up to really stop the run and force Dak Prescott to to beat them. And without Amari Cooper the last two games, without CeeDee Lamb, who had the concussion uh, on the last offensive play of the Kansas City game two games ago, you know, I just really think that that has hurt their offense. The the lack of weapons outside and then Zeke's injury uh, and trying to play through that and manage it. Now he's going to try to play through it and manage it again tonight but frankly I think it's probably going to be the same as we've seen the last two or three games where he's just struggling uh, to run the ball Tony Pollard's led him in rushing these last three games Uh, so we're talking to Shereen Williams from Pro Football Talk about tonight's game and I just I keep thinking of all the names you're just listing there and I'll, I'll also add on you know Diggs and Parsons on the defensive side of the ball there's so many big name talented players on this team are they performing up to the standard that they should with the talent that they have on this roster well, you know, I, I think they did Fitz up until Dak's injury, and then they came out of that, and as Courtney knows, they they did okay against what they won against the Vikings. I don't think they looked great uh, offensively. Cooper Rush played in that game, and then Dak comes out the next game against Denver and looks terrible because he hadn't practiced very much. And then these last three games are kind of hard to explain because they look so good against the Falcons, won that one 43-3, scored 29 points in the second quarter. And then, as Courtney said, they really laid eggs in these last two games against the AFC West. And frankly, they should have gone 0-4 against the AFC West because the Chargers should have won in week two, had a couple touchdowns called back that they ended up not getting touchdowns on or the Chargers win that game. So I don't know if it's been the AFC West. I don't know if it's all these injuries taking key players out of the game or really what it's been. They're still in pretty good shape. They're sitting there at 7-4, but, you know, Washington's made this many run now. They've won three in a row, and these two teams play two games down the stretch. So Washington still has a chance to win this division. I think we all – a couple of weeks ago, we're saying, all right, Dallas has got the division wrapped up. Where are they going to finish in the seating? Are they going to be one or are they going to be four or somewhere in between? And now it's like, are they going to win this division? And I still think they win this division. I think they turn it around and then they have Washington after the mini buy, which is going to help them. But yeah, right now, the last 
three of the last four games and the last two in particular, they haven't played very well. And I don't think they've lived up to expectations, Fitz. I don't know that they should have lost to the Raiders uh, in overtime by three points at home on Thanksgiving. I just don't know that you do that no matter how many injuries you have. I just don't think you can explain that away as, well, we just had bad luck and had a bunch of injuries. I get from the perception standpoint why a win is so important tonight because you don't want – if you're the Cowboys yeah. and your high-powered offense, you don't want to lose four of your last five games and have all these question marks about the identity of your team going down the stretch. But do you would you say this is must-win? Because this is something Fitz and I were talking about earlier just – based on the fact that they probably are not chasing Arizona or Green Bay for that yeah. seeding, but yeah. like what the argument you were making just now about potentially them being in a fight till the very end for the NFC East kind of makes me think I should change my, my stance on this and say it is must win for the Dallas Cowboys. I, and I agree with you just because of that, because they play after this week, they play Washington two in the next three. If I'm the Cowboys, I don't want to go into that Washington game having lost four of five and come out saying, oh, my God. Now, then it's a really must win. I mean, then if you lose that, oh, my gosh. If, if Washington manages to win on Sunday, then you're looking at, you know, a first-place tie instead of sitting there being in it with a couple games lead. I, I do think they have to win this game from the standpoint of the division and get things turned around before they play Washington again or for the first time, but play Washington first time, and they'll be coming off a mini-buy. I really think that helps teams when they come off that mini-buy and get some time to get Ezekiel Elliott rested and, and improve Amari Cooper's conditioning and get Randy Gregory back. And I, I do think down the stretch this is going to be a really good team. I think they're going to be a contender for the Super Bowl, but – I don't think you can go out and lose this game and just say, all right, we're going to win the East and, you know, we're going to be X number of seed. I I just think it makes it much, much harder if you lose this game. So I say it's a must win simply because of that. You have Washington in the next game. And I think they're sitting pretty good if they're sitting there at eight and four coming off a mini buy, having to go to Washington next week. I think they're in really good position. I mean, Shereen, you're forgetting that Washington's obviously going to lose Sunday to my beloved Raiders. So uh, one thing I know (laughs) for sure is that if the Cowboys somehow have a collapse and things don't go well, I know that certain shows on our network will yell about the future of Mike McCarthy. What's real there? Like, what should the future be of Mike McCarthy if it doesn't go well? Well, we know Jerry, in a lot of things, is very cheap. (laughs) And I would say in head coaches, he's cheap. He doesn't like to pay off coaches and pay off coaching staff. That's why you saw Jason Garrett's contract go to the end and run out before he got rid of him. He didn't have to pay off Jason Garrett and didn't have to pay off many of the assistant coaches. He doesn't like to pay off coaches. I think regardless of what happens the rest of the season, I think Mike McCarthy is back next season. However, having, having said all that, I just remember that Jason Garrett was hired before Wade Phillips and he was hired for a role that was undetermined at the time he was hired. And then they hired Wade Phillips as head coach. But the idea always for for Jason Garrett to become the next head coach of the Cowboys. And eventually Wade Phillips made it very, very easy. The only coach that the Cowboys had have fired during the season was Wade Phillips because they started off one and seven uh, that season and finished five and three with Jason Garrett. So obviously Jason Garrett then got the job. I think it's going to be the same thing with, with Kellen Moore. I think he's going to get some interviews after the season. He he may actually get some uh, chances, a chance or chances to become a head coach. Jason Garrett did too. He turned down the Ravens, turned down the Falcons 
and I'm sure there was some agreement in place that, hey, eventually you'll be our head coach. I'm expecting that to happen this offseason. Kellen Moore gets some interviews. Cowboys to come back and say, hey, look, we're going to up your salary here. We'll make it under the table. You will be our next head coach in the next few years. Come back. Remain here as offensive coordinator. Learn and grow from Mike McCarthy, and you'll be the next head coach. I think that's what's going to happen. And I would say in two or three years, I would expect Callum Moore to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. You guys can follow her on Twitter at NFL Shireen. As always, check her out on Pro Football Talk, doing great work. Appreciate you, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, Blair, all of the, like, as loud as you can, play all the Christmas music. There you go. Thank you guys for having me on. Great stuff from her. Obviously, the question tonight is who's going to be in the zone. And to me, you know, all this conversation isn't wrong. I mean, Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb, Courtney, one of them has to be in the zone, getting the zone brought to you by AutoZone, getting the zone, AutoZone. It feels like uh, the, the wide receiver core is just such a huge part of what makes life easier for Dak Prescott. And I saw it watching the Thanksgiving Day game. You could see how often Dak dropped back and just didn't trust to throw to throw the ball where he thought the guys were supposed to be. So I think having the wide receiver core back is going to make a massive difference tonight. A huge one. I mean, this is a team, too, last week when you get your left tackle tackle back. Like, you, you can see how much more comfortable Dak was behind his offensive line. But, man, you've got to get some production from your wideouts so you can be the version of your offense that you were the first seven weeks of the season. Yeah, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Maybe Shereen has changed my mind on the pressure, too. We'll keep you updated on the game. But coming up next, the suns are shining brightly and the King is back. An NBA update coming up, coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. We're brought to you by my computer career, training for a better life. This is my Christmas DJ voice. Courtney, I'm working on like, you know, being... You know, a little bit more casual, a little more laid back for my Christmas jams. Are, we, are you feeling it? Like, is that is that is a good look on me? You've got your Delilah thing going on. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Delilah. her and just, Delilah. like, that smoothness? Like, oh, she made yeah. me feel great around the holidays because she would always play these, like, Christmas songs, like, pulled on your heartstrings. I'm like, darn, Delilah, I'm going to go call somebody I haven't talked to in five years because you just put me in that mood where I need to reach out and, and, and hold somebody. Yeah, as a so you were doing air, a good job with that. Um, thank you. And as a lover of air supply, like Delilah's right down the right down my alley, right up my alley, I should say. We've asked you guys on Twitter, what's your go-to Christmas song that kicks off the Christmas season for whatever time that is? Like, what's the one that you have to hear to really get you going? And we've got some people that have chimed in on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Scott Stanton said, it's not Christmas. If I don't hear Elvis sing Blue Christmas on the radio, then it officially begins. Uh, it reminds me uh, of a time in my life where I once called Years ago, I called Sirius XM and I'm like, I can't find any Christmas stations as a subscriber. Where are they? And they were like, sir, it's the middle of October. We don't have them yet. So, you know, I, I get that. Like, you just got to hear it on the radio sometimes. Uh, Gail, one of our favorite listeners, came in with A Little Town of Bethlehem by Bruce Cockburn on his Christmas CD and then points out that she listens to the entire CD and still buys CDs. So I'm all in for all of that. Caroline, uh, Caroline Hines said, a Taylor Swift Christmas Tree Farm and Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree Great kickoff songs. Those are all coming at you at the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. So uh, you guys can keep them coming. Uh, absolutely love all of that. Hoops Insight, by the way, went with Nat King Cole, the Christmas song. There's something about the originals of these things. Like I get, I, I said it earlier, like the version matters. Hearing Nat King mm -hmm. Cole sing anything is just, it's just better. You know, Courtney, it just hits it's harder nostalgia. when it's the original. Of course. I mean, like that's, 
there's parts of Christmas tradition, you know, watching the original Peanuts, um, Charlie Brown Christmas, like things like that that cannot be replicated with a new version. You have to watch Home Alone 1, not Home Alone 4, where the kid's name's Alex or whatever it is. Like you have to watch <laughs> and consume the originals that came with Christmas, or at least the originals so far as, you know, dates back in time. But I'm with you. I love hearing Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole, um, all of the original Christmas voices, the OG Christmas voices, if we want to call it that. Dion Santiago, just a, I just had to say that. It's probably San Diego, but Dion Santiago hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, Merry Christmas, baby, Otis Redding. Anything by Otis Redding is going to be uh, right down the middle for me, too. So uh, I'm all in on that. And by the way, though, only except like I'm never a, a fan of remakes of Christmas movies, but every year I, I get up on my soapbox at some point and I remind the world that White Christmas needs to be remade. I've already figured it out. OK, so for Bing Crosby, you have Michael Bublé. Um, for uh, for the 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 singer in it, her name uh, Clooney, Rosemary Clooney. You have Kelly Clarkson. Look at this. All right, I've got that for Danny Kay. You do Justin Timberlake, and for the other girl that was the dancer, then you could do J Lo. Like you could have like hip hop dances instead of swing dances, and suddenly you've got pop stars in White Christmas. That's that's how I would cast it. If anybody wanted to call me, I'd be willing <laughs> to handle that. I like it. I'm all for that idea. Look at that. See, I'm just trying to bring anything here. All right, let's move to some NBA news. The LeBron James news uh, is significant for the Lakers as we constantly overanalyze everything that happens for L.A., but it looks like LeBron is set to make his return uh, from uh, COVID absence. Now, he's returned after eight negative tests uh, since Tuesday afternoon, sources told ESPN, and the star tested positive for COVID-19 in Sacramento on Tuesday morning. So, at this point, he did not practice with the Lakers on Thursday. Health and safety protocols required him to be isolated from the team and then uh, have two negative tests within a 24-hour uh, window. So he is vaccinated, and uh, it looks like at this point uh, they're going to let him return, and it, it, he'll be back. So that's big for the Lakers trying to get any level of rhythm, which, Courtney, they've had none of so far this year. Yeah, and I think the, the Sacramento win – from Tuesday, I mean, ho-hum, right? Like, do we really, are we going to put that much stock into it? The stretch that they have coming up, though, against teams that they could very easily be seeing again not too far down the line. L, uh, they face the Clippers, they've got Boston, they've got Memphis on the road, and then this, like, stretch that they've got before Christmas where it's at Memphis, at Oklahoma City, at Dallas, at Minnesota, at Chicago. I mean, it is – Given where some of these teams are right now, too, in the Eastern Conference, like just how good the Bulls are playing right now, you're getting a preview of potential teams that you might see down the line. So I um, I think it's good that he's coming back right now because they've just been like in a real big funk from like the middle of November, basically kind of this up and down mishmash through last Friday when they faced Sacramento the first time and lost. Well, and, you know, at some point, I have to take the losses seriously. That's the thing mm -hmm. for me I keep saying with the Lakers is it'll work itself out. None of it matters. At some point, it has to matter. Like, uh, and, and I still believe that we'll forget all of this if AD and LeBron are healthy and playing great by the time we get to the playoffs. We won't care about these struggles right now. But at some point, these games have to matter. And sort of the flip side of that is how much they seem to matter for the Suns, who, you know, you have to go all the way back to before Halloween for the last time the Phoenix Suns lost a game. And, 
you know, I know that that doesn't necessarily always equate to, wow, this team's a superpower. But at some point, you have to get recognition. If it were the Knicks that had won this many games in a row, what are we, 17, 18 in a row? If it were the mm-hmm. Knicks that had won this many in a row, coming off a playoff run like the, the Suns had had, we'd be blowing up every show talking about dynastic opportunities for New York. We're not even really giving the Suns the level of love that, that most moderate franchises would get for having the success they're having right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, you've you got to think about it, what it means from like a Lakers perspective too, right? Like you want to keep pace in the West, in the Western Conference behind, I mean, you already have to keep up with like the Grizzlies, the Mavs, the Jazz for right now, but it, nobody's catching the Suns and the Warriors with 18 wins apiece, at least not for, you know, the next couple of weeks. It doesn't feel like anybody will be able to do that given the stretch that, you know, Phoenix is, you know, the stretch of wins that they've pulled out the last 18 games. But my goodness, like if you look at where their championship window is versus where it started, I know there's been some debate, especially on our own airwaves, about the Suns and what they're capable of accomplishing. But like, let's put some respect on their name. Let's start treating them like they are on the cusp of doing something again. That would be pretty remarkable considering Golden State is right on their heels and they don't even have clay back yet. So imagine what that's going to be and how fun that's going to be when it's Suns Warriors going down the stretch, you know, in March uh, for playoff seating. And we get to see kind of a preview of that now. Like, I love I love watching good basketball in November and December. I know some people don't tune in quite yet. and you, Usually I'm in my NFL bubble, but like this is making this type of basketball right now is reminding me of the 15, 16 Warriors. And that's that's fun to watch because anybody at any time can tune in and enjoy it. Well, and that's why Devin Booker tweeted out, no loss November, and it just sort of hits different. You look at it and realize, man, that's real. And if it was the Warriors having no loss November, boy, it'd be the number one story all the way across. I'm with you. Like, at some point, we now have to give a tip of the hat and say this wasn't some temporary thing. This is this is real. It looks like it's sustainable, and it's going to make for a heck of a season. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet is hurt in a car accident, Progressive pays up to $10,000 in vet expenses with free vet coverage visit progressive.com all right you know what time it is it's time for thursday night football but that doesn't just mean that the cowboys are involved in this the saints are too and that means it's Taysom time in new orleans that's just fun to say we'll get an expert to chime in and give us everything we need to know next on spain and fitz on espn radio and the espn app you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast spain and fitz on espn radio the espn app and sirius xm channel 80 Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. I'm Jason Fitz, hanging out with Courtney Cronin as we are getting you ready for Thursday night football and all the glory that comes with a massive matchup between the Cowboys and the Saints. Also, we're asking you guys to chime in. You can uh, get out there on the fun. You can tweet us at Jason Fitz, at Courtney R. Cronin. We're asking you for your go-to Christmas kickoff jam. What's the song that really gets you in the season? Tucker said Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I, I don't mind that call at all. Like, there's just some of that that really absolutely uh, gets you it, it gets you go uh, gets you going. So, in the meantime, we'll ask Mike Triplett, ESPN NFL Nation Saints reporter, his go-to jam as well as everything about the game. You know, we'll head over to the Goodyear Hotline, Mike. What song really gets your uh, Christmas juices flowing? Oh man, you put me on the spot. I'm not ready for this. What's what's the Otis Redding song? Every time that comes on the Alexa playlist, that's my favorite. Oh, there's a well, yeah, there's a bunch of them. I think somebody says uh, Merry Christmas, baby was one that came up earlier for Otis Redding. Otis Redding is like a good call. Like it just feels right. He's, uh, he's, through... he's a good call on any uh, Alexa playlist, right? Yeah, a, a thousand, <laughs> a thousand percent. So uh, now let's get to the actual game going on tonight. And what's 
I, I use this phrase too much, I know, but like in the world of yelling and screaming about quarterback play, what's a realistic expectation for how Taysom Hill should play tonight? Well, I think it's a shame, uh, just as it was for Jameis Winston, but even more so now with all the injuries around him, that we're not going to get a real fair evaluation because I would have loved to have seen what Taysom Hill and Sean Payton learned from his four-game stint last year. Um, you know, some of the things he did well, some of the things he could have done better. And I'd like to see him there with both of his all-pro tackles and, and a healthy foot and Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas in the lineup. But unfortunately, this offense is depleted in every single position group. Uh, and, and every quarterback that has played so far has been affected by it. Uh, and, and then add on top of that, that Taysom Hill's dealing with a partially torn plantar fascia that limited in the last two weeks. So he might not have the same mobility, which is obviously his greatest asset. And, and it's hard to have really high expectations, but I, I, I guess that, that, that means if he, if he exceeds them, then, uh, then he'll really turn a lot of heads. Yeah. That's the thing that like makes this situation so cloudy and that we can't figure out which direction the saints are going to go beyond this game even like even in the next week at the quarterback position what do you think this does because we know Taysom Hill got the contract restructure extension whatever you want to call it that happened last week that solidifies his future with this team whether it's at quarterback or another gadget position on the offense but what is this team's plan for the quarterback yeah. position? Like, I, I cannot figure it out. No, you're exactly right, and that's what I wrote about today for, for ESPN, like, previewing this game. Because, Casey, you know, if you go back to January when Drew Brees was the quarterback, Casey Hill's now the fourth quarterback to start for the Saints in 2021. Uh, and I said their, their future at the position is even cloudier than it was when Brees first retired. I, you know, I think if Jameis Winston had stayed healthy, he looked like a good fit, uh, and, and his arrow was pointing up, and I think we would, you know, they'd probably be in position to make the playoffs maybe, and, and, and he'd be the presumed guy next year. But now he's coming off a torn ACL, and he's actually not even under contract next year. Um, this team will always be in the conversation for a splash trade for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or even Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but they have major salary cap constraints and, and a lot of other needs too, including guys who would catch the ball. Um, their, their receivers are probably, uh, until Michael Thomas comes back, they're probably lacking at that position more than any of the team in the league too. So uh, you are absolutely right that there's a lot of, a lot of question marks at that position. Mike, uh, we're talking to Mike Triplett, ESPN NFL Nation, Saints reporter on Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Sarah. I'm Jason Fitz. Uh, Alvin Kamara obviously is such a huge part of this offense. How do they find offense without him? Yeah, look, I, I think I think a strong argument could be made that Alvin Kamara is the best player on this team. Um, but the one good thing is they they have maybe one of their best backup situations at that position with Mark Ingram. He's 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 a really reliable backup. Pretty incredible that they got him at uh, almost for free from the Houston Texans, who were almost doing him a, a solid. Uh, when they traded him to the Saints because they knew, you know, he wanted to be in this competitive situation back where he started his career. So that that's a good option for them to have marking because he can run, he can catch passes, he can pass, protect. Uh, so they're pretty solid there. But the run game in general could struggle tonight because they're missing uh, three of their most, you know, three three of their four best offensive linemen uh, in this game. And, and we saw last week, when both Kamara and Ingram were out of the lineup, they just generated absolutely nothing in their run game. So the Saints' losers of four straight have the largest swing 
according to ESPN's FPI, of what their playoff chances could be with a win or loss. 53%, it improves to that with a win on Thursday night football against the Cowboys, or they fall to 20% with a loss. When we look at, like, the number seven seed in the NFC wildcard, and you and I both cover NFC teams, it feels like it's going to be a movie these next four, yeah. five, six <laughs> games. Because there's, like, five teams that are in the five and six or potentially a five and seven yeah. range that are going to be in the postseason eventually. How do you look at the Saints chances knowing kind of where their record could stand after tonight at five and seven and realizing that eight and nine may actually get you a spot in the oh postseason. It could be them. <laughs> well, let's assume they have to get to nine and eight. Uh, they also are not doing well with tiebreakers, unfortunately. But what's really interesting is that you, those numbers you mentioned that they have the highest swing in this game. That's not just math. That's, uh, you know, just looking at the landscape too. They will get 10 days off after this game before traveling to face the New York Jets next week. They could have Alvin Kamara, Teron Armstead, and Ryan Ramchek back. They could have Taysom Hill 10 days healthier with his foot injury. If this team is 500 at the end of tonight uh, and then faces, you know, the Jets next week, I, I, I think what an amazing, you know, like different outlook than if they've lost five straight games and they're five and seven. It is pretty remarkable how much their outlook could change. Now, even if they are five and seven, I think they will be favored in four of their last five games. They also have Miami at home, uh, Carolina at home at Atlanta, uh, surrounding a, a trip to Tampa Bay. So if this team gets healthy, it can make a late season run. Uh, but, you know, five straight losses, you know, it's just been a dagger week in and week out for this team. And they're, they're, they're definitely going to be a long shot if they don't win tonight. If they don't win tonight, Mike, is there a spot where they start thinking about, you know, hey, you shut down Kamara and save the, the the tread on the tires. You see what you've got at the quarterback position differently. Like, do they start to approach the season differently for next year at some point? I don't think so, just because of what, you know, Courtney was just talking about. I mean, the, the landscape, you know, if 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight can get you in, it's a very realistic possibility for this team that, that could be a lot healthier very soon. But I do think – Obviously, they have not treated all of these November and now early December games. Uh, they, they have played it pretty conservative with injuries. You know, I, I think Alvin Kamara probably could have gone tonight, and they wanted to make sure he's 100%. We also saw Armstead and Ramchek pop up in practice. And, you know, this is two Thursday games in a row with them, so they've had a lot of games in a short period of time. I, I think they've already taken a pretty conservative route to think long-term and short-term. Uh, but I think most of that is with the idea that, they could be at their healthiest by the end of this month. I don't think they're quite there yet where they're ready to start looking ahead to 2022 yet. As always, Mike, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your expertise. Thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy the game tonight. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You guys, I've uh, obviously check him out. NFL Nation Saints reporter Mike Triplett joining us there on the Goodyear Hotline. And uh, we'll keep you updated on the game as it goes through. Uh, again, uh, brought to you by Goodyear. With uh, I'm going to learn to read. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and get the computer screen up here where I can actually read, Courtney. But I can't promise that. Mike Triplett, ESPN Saints reporter, brought to you by Goodyear. With you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Look at that. We're back on track just like that. Now, we might be back on track, but I'm not sure the college football world is going to be back on track after a weekend of what I hope is absolute chaos. I'll tell you what I'm rooting for and why it will absolutely destroy college football fans' hearts. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM. Channel 80, Jason Fitz, hanging out with Courtney Cronin. 
Bowl season is looming. Tune in tomorrow night for the Pac-12 championship game presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. And yes, that means you should cry tears now because there's no Spain and Fitz tomorrow night. But you should tune in anyway because uh, the Pac-12 championship is always a good time. And it brings me to what I'm rooting for this weekend, Courtney. And I'm going to be the ultimate troll for a minute. Not really my personality, although I will say, admittedly, there's still a part of me that remembers who I was in the 20s, in my 20s. I would like go in and just make sure that I stirred up an entire room, got everybody else to fight, and then just kind of quietly walked out. That's what they do to the college football world all the time because there's a real opportunity this weekend for absolute, utter, total chaos. And that's what I'm rooting for because realistically, if we're going to leave everything to a committee, number one, I think that the committee's job should be really difficult. Number two, I think it should be really uncomfortable for the committee to have to justify their decisions. And number three, I think college football fans should all be upset by the end of it because that just means that it was entertaining. And as somebody that doesn't have a favorite college football team but just loves covering the sport, I want the entertainment. I'm with you because I don't have a favorite college football team either. I really, I'm not really a fan of anything. I don't like Christmas music. I don't like college football teams either. No, I mean, I'm kidding about that. But um, – I want to see a shakeup here. I want to see teams like Cincinnati have to earn it, like really, really earn it. I want to see a three-overtime game in the SEC championship to make the college football playoff committee's heads just explode and be like, man, what do we do with this Alabama team if they take Georgia, the number one defense forever, in, in down to the wires? So, I mean, there is so much here that we could be rooting for to see a shakeup of the top four. I'd love to see like two new teams in there. I really would. I know that like a lot of college football fans in, you know, new newly minted Michigan football fans, Sarah Spain would absolutely hate if I said, I want Iowa to win this weekend, but I want to shake up. I want to see at least two different teams in there come Sunday when the final rankings are put out. Yeah, well, and, and a, a shakeup would be absolutely delightful. Now, I don't have any problem. I also uh, uh, subscribe to the theory, and, and look, I got my butt kicked on this years ago in radio. When I was in Nashville, I was on radio with my buddy Braden Gall, and I used to always tell him going into March Madness, I was to, always used to say, look, what we really want are upsets. And Braden was the one that came in and said, no, we want upsets in the first round. But then as the the rounds go on, ratings show that everybody wants big brands. So I went, like the nerd I am, to – every Google article I could ever find on college basketball ratings to find a way to prove Braden wrong, only to realize that he was totally right. Like, when lesser brands are in it, less people watch. So, with that in mind, like, I don't mind if Michigan makes it. I want to see a world where if Michigan makes it, like Georgia, to your point, beats Alabama in this epic SEC championship game, which then forces them to decide they're going to leave Alabama in just to make people mad. I want the committee to decide that the reason they're not going to put Notre Dame in is because they don't know who Notre Dame's head coach is, just because that'll make everybody mad. And then Oklahoma State, let's just say they go out and they just ram the the Baylor, right? They just mm-hmm. kill them in the Big Ten champ- or Big Twelve championship game. Then maybe Oklahoma State suddenly jumps ahead of Cincinnati, and we end up with Oklahoma State in the playoff. Then you get four big brands which fans are going to hate because Cincinnati was left out for no fault of their own. But I love because I'm just sitting back here evil laughing while there's chaos all around me. It it does not make me a good person, but it makes for a good product. Also, I want to see good games in the playoffs. And I'm still not convinced a lot of these teams can give us great games. 
that's what it boils down to, and more on that in a second. But I wanted to touch on what you said about the committee's choice that they have here with Notre Dame. I mean, that's something that we're not talking enough about, that if they really want to, and Gary Barta hinted at this, um, actually directly spoke about it, what am I talking about, on Tuesday when the fifth rankings were put out, that the committee can decide, given the head coaching situation and the uncertainty there, if they want to leave Notre Dame out, they can. I hope it doesn't come down to that because that's not fair. That's not the on-field product. You're talking about something that really truly is ancillary regardless of the result. Like, in my opinion, that should not factor into whether Notre Dame makes it or not. So I hope that if if Notre Dame has a case, I hope it's compelling enough where the coaching argument of of who the head coach is now that Brian Kelly, Irish goodbye his way down to LSU, that that doesn't factor in here. I want to see compelling games in the, in the college football playoff and in the national championship. I don't want to see what we saw last year with Notre Dame. Basically, anytime Notre Dame's played in a CFP game or in a BCS championship game in the last decade, they've stunk. I want to see teams that actually can like hold a candle to an SEC team and actually make it you know, a compelling game where on a Monday night I'm not turning it off to watch Netflix because that's important to me. We see these great games, and there's so much at stake that goes into the final week of championship weekend and and the conference championships and what have you that I don't want this weekend to be the peak. I want it to peak in January. So whatever the committee has to do to give us those sort of matchups, please do it because I'm so tired of the lopsidedness and the SEC is dominant argument and everything like that that always seems to come to a head every single year in January. I feel like there's a way to do it now where you decide the best teams well before we even get to that point. Yeah, and and what's interesting with the Notre Dame – because. I think you're right about the Notre Dame concept of this, that in fairness, I don't want Coach Kelly's decision to impact the kids on the field. I'm not, I'm not a total monster. I do think that the committee, you know, they've made it clear, A, they can they can factor it in, but they would be factoring it in if it was a quarterback, for example. So they would already punish everybody else on the roster if the one player that they thought had the most significance wasn't available. What becomes interesting is, and, and we certainly don't have any indication anything's coming. The closer we get to it, the more comfortable Cincinnati should feel. But if there's a chance that Luke Fickle is going to take another job anywhere, I wonder what it would do to a Cincinnati argument that's already teetering on the edge. And then do they have to be fair to both sides? You know, like mm-hmm. if they're sitting here saying, well, Cincinnati, you know, they, they may or may not have the resume. Well, if Fickle decides he's going to take a different job somewhere and then all of a sudden Fickle also Cincinnati, you know, maybe ekes out a tougher win against a Houston team that has a better defense than they're getting credit for being right now. Like I could see suddenly where it becomes justifi- justification to keep Cincinnati out. And that's, some of the drama, like for everybody that talks about loving the concept of playoff expansion, I love it too. But part of the greatness of not having playoff expansion is that we sit here and have these drawn out conversations about possibilities that frankly, I just don't think would exist if we had a 12 team playoff. Like if we all knew basically who was set coming into the weekend, do we really care suddenly if the committee decides to give somebody a slightly lower ranking? Yes and no. I feel like that would kind of be like the old the old system in a way, right? Like where we, we knew what it was going to be down the final stretch of the season, whether the championship weekend factored into it or not. I um, I mean, what you brought up with Cincinnati, we knew that this game, like the college football playoff committee set up championship weekend for the AAC weeks ago, probably like whatever, when, you know, Cincinnati was like on just in the outside looking in, 
or maybe around the Tulsa time, the SMU time, whatever, we knew that this last game of the season was going to be the big one that determines their fate. And, and that's the reason Houston was kept in. I mean, they're obviously a good football team too, but I think that the, where the committee had Houston ranked and they continued with that really put so much weight on, on that game alone where the committee's giving itself every chance to put Cincinnati in this, to give them what they've been looking for, um, you know, as one of these teams from a non-dominant Power 5 conference that can actually make a run and be competitive with the other three teams that are going to get into the top four rankings. So I like that drama element of it. I think that that would probably go away if you had like the 12-team expansion, which, you know, today we find out it gets tabled till January. No one's going to agree on this. It'll probably get pushed out even further, but I... I think that's kind of what keeps some of the intrigue with it, too, that we just didn't have before. Well, and you make a great point about the committee setting things up. I mean, it's hard not to look at the way they've ranked some of the Big 12 teams and look at it and say, okay, they're really leaving a path for the Big 12 to make the college football playoff. It's hard not to look at Houston and say, not that they're not deserving, but when you start to get into like the, the 20th, 21st, 22nd, there's so much subjectiveness around those anyway. To make sure that Houston's ranked really helps Cincinnati as they go into the bottom or to the end of this uh, season for them, getting the chance for another big win. And in fact, I'd argue that the committee dropping some key teams out actually hurt Notre Dame's chance because their resume doesn't look as good. That's the power that they have. Harry Douglas going to join us next. He's been watching film on all of this. We'll get his thoughts on all things college football for this weekend next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Sarah. I'm Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to just head right over to the Goodyear hotline to get a little expertise from my buddy, Harry Douglas, ESPN football analyst. You can listen to him prime time on ESPN Radio Sunday afternoons. Check him out on Countdown to Game Day Saturday mornings on all the digital platforms. Harry's out there grinding. And we really wanted to bring Harry on because, frankly, he knows more about everything than everybody. So, Harry, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you, brother. And let's start with what I think is sort of the under-talked about weekend game coming up for the Big 12. Big 12 championship, Oklahoma State taking on Baylor. What do you see there for Oklahoma State? And do, in your mind, can they play their way into the college football playoff with a win? Well, I'll tell you, first off, I like Oklahoma State. I love their defense. Uh, top three in the nation right now, lead the nation in sacks. Uh, so, so I really like this defense. But I think the key for this game is going to be Spencer Sanders. And you look at that first matchup, Oklahoma State versus Baylor, he threw three interceptions in that football game and almost had a, should have been a fourth. And on the first drive, he threw one right into the safety's hands and he dropped it. So it should have been four. And I would say when it comes to those type of things, the reason why I like this defense, because even though Spencer Sanders threw three interceptions, the defense didn't allow zero, they allowed zero points off of those three turnovers. So he got backed up by his defense, but it all, it's all going to depend on the health of Bohannon. Um, is, is he going to be healthy enough to be himself? Because if he's not, then I'm taking Oklahoma State all the way in this game. Jason and I want some chaos this weekend. So we've been going through some playoff scenarios, and the one that I would like to dub the what am I watching championship weekend scenario would be Baylor beating Oklahoma State, Georgia beating Alabama, Houston beating Cincinnati, and Iowa beating Michigan. So basically everybody who's not favored uh, outside of, of Georgia in those games to to win. And how do you think that that would shake up the scenarios that I just laid out, the final four that we see, especially that four spot? Like could a two-loss Iowa team get in over a 12-1 and Cincinnati team if that exact scenario played out? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think that'll happen. And, I, and I'll tell you this, 
is a two-loss Iowa team better than a two-loss Ohio State team? Is a two-loss Iowa team really, at the end of the day, better than a two-loss Michigan team? Even though they would have to win that big, big, uh, big Ten championship game, in actual reality, when you look at it on paper, do you actually think they're a better team? And, and to let you know, no, they're not. So I think even then a two-loss Alabama would still get in. But then you have to remember you still have that one-loss Notre Dame who's still waiting in the uh, the woodworks. And I understand they lost their coach, and the, and the committee's going to play that. That's going to be a factor in, 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 into the uh, committee's uh, decision. But if if everyone's losing on championship weekend, then I think I think they're getting in. But then I'll tell you this. What if Oregon beats Utah? Then you have a two-loss Oregon team who who's the Pac-12 champion. So – are they back in the discussion? So I don't really want to see that much chaos, Courtney. I know you want to see that much chaos. Fitz <laughs> probably does too, but I don't want to see that much chaos. He's no, brainwashed you know, me over here into like believing stirring it. it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to apologize. I'm just trying to make life chaotic and, and difficult for everybody, Harry. So, I mean, a simple question. You watch more film than anybody I know. Who are the top four teams in the country in your mind right now? I'll say number one is Georgia. Um, Michigan. Uh, I think Alabama is one of those four teams. Uh, team number four, man, is up. It's up for grabs. Team number four is up for grabs. And I, I, I don't know how you determine it. I, I think you can determine. Uh, you got to look at the body of work. You look at Oklahoma State. I know a lot of people say Cincinnati is the fourth team in the country, and I'll say they they've earned that spot. They're undefeated right now. They they don't have any control over who's on their schedule. But Oklahoma State, if they beat. Baylor, Oklahoma, and back-to-back weekends, I don't know how, how, how do you, you tell them they don't get in. I, I just don't see that. And so then not only put, that, they you beat put Baylor Oklahoma in over Cincinnati. If they both, Oklahoma State goes in over Cincinnati if they both win this weekend in your mind? Yeah, I would have to. There it is, Stosh. <laughs> there we go. There we go, stop. And I and I say that because Fitz, you look at if 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 Cincinnati beats Houston, right? Then they would only have that one win versus the top twenty five opponent. That would be Notre Dame. Oklahoma would have three. Oklahoma State, excuse me, Oklahoma State would have three. So you look at the schedules. If you're comparing it that way, then Oklahoma State to me had a tougher road. Harry, we've seen a lot this week just with the coaching changes. It kind of feels like Lincoln Riley became USC's coach 10 years ago because of how much time has passed from Sunday to Thursday night. And now we're looking at the Notre Dame opening, and it sounds like Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, is in line for that position. But there's also Luke Fickle's name that's been thrown around. And granted, he has a team right now that – is vying for one of those four spots and, and trying to contend for a national championship. How do you think in the end, and just given the timing and you know teams that are still in this thing, maybe not wanting to give the committee any reason to not put their team in based on a head coach, if he leaves or if he stays, um, how do you think the Notre Dame opening shakes out at the end of the day? Um, Marcus Freeman should be their head coach. I think he has the credentials. And when I mean credentials, he's played this game. Um, he's coached this game at a high level. And it's all about players being able to adapt to their head coach, right? You look at these times that we're in right now, 
you, you can't go in there with a coach who's going to be a drill sergeant. Not saying any of those other guys are. I'm uh, not saying Luke Fickle is because the players at Cincinnati, they love him, right? But he's at Notre Dame. They love him. You got Reese. He's going to remain the offensive coordinator. Uh, I think the the guy who's over strength and conditioning, uh, he's staying at Notre Dame. So you, you have the foundation still there. You just don't have uh, Brian Kelly there. He's at LSU now. So I think that should be enough for everyone to see and open eyes and say, okay, Freeman should be the head coach here at Notre Dame, and they should move forward in doing so. If you were in this current landscape with all of these coaching changes, looking at it, like how how do you navigate the transfer portal and a coach going into a new spot and like trying to figure out where you were versus where you're going? Like for kids that have to make quick decisions, how do they even go through the process? Well, that transfer portal thing is crazy. And Fitz, I had this happen to me when I was at Louisville. Um, the coach I committed to was John L. Smith, and he left and went to Michigan State. And then that's when Petrino came, and I stayed at Louisville. But then my junior year. We lost one game. We was ranked in the top ten in the nation. Petrino left and went to the Atlanta Falcons. And we had a new coach come in. Um, was I upset? Yes, I was because we had just about our same team coming back and we could have made another run my senior year. But I understood at that point, at that young, that this is a business, right? And I put myself in the shoes. Like, hey, if I got an opportunity to provide for my family a different way and do A, a B, C, or D, would I take it? You know, so I tell a lot of people, man, put yourself in those shoes because – we say one thing, but if you're actually in somebody else's shoes, you'll probably do another thing. But I think the quicker these young men learn that this is a business, especially with the NIL deal and all that stuff going on nowadays, the quicker they understand that this is a business, I think the better off they'll be because that's the way they, they're going to they're gonna have to think if they have dreams and aspirations of playing in the NFL anyway. Harry, real quick before we let you go, wanted to get your take on the Antonio Brown situation. The NFL announced that they're suspending him without pay for the next three games because he violated the NFL and NFLPA's COVID-19 protocols with the fake vaccination card. Aaron Rodgers is brought up in this discussion. Granted, he didn't lie. He just misled. Like, What's your take on the NFL coming down harder on Antonio Brown versus the way it did on Aaron Rodgers? Well, the, the the crazy thing about it is that I know people in real life who have fake vaccination cards. And I think to me, it's just stupid to be honest. Uh, I don't think it's cool. If you're not going to get vaccinated, just say you're not going to get vaccinated. Don't go try to be something or try to have something that you, that, that that's not yours. Right. Um, we're going through a, a global pandemic. So I don't think it's something you should be playing around with. Uh, either you want to get vaccinated or you don't want to get vaccinated. But don't carry on a car saying that you're vaccinated if you're not vaccinated, right? And I know a lot of people want to compare, okay, the league didn't come down hard on Aaron Rodgers and they're coming down hard on these other three guys. But Aaron Rodgers did not have a fake vaccination card at the end of the day, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know how, how you, people are really comparing the two. You guys can follow him on Twitter at HDouglas83. Be sure to check him out Saturday morning before the SEC championship game on Countdown to Game Day in the ESPN app and on all the digital platforms for ESPN. And then, of course, hanging out Sunday on ESPN Radio for NFL uh, primetime. Just doing it all. That's what he does every single day. Harry, my friend, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. No problem, Fitz. All right, great stuff from Harry, as always. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Visit Progressive.com. We'll get you a Thursday night football update, plus more of your Christmas jams and some NFL matchups we cannot wait for this weekend. We'll tell you about all of that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app.
Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz hanging out with Courtney Cronin. And we're getting your Christmas season kicked off the right way. I'm telling you, I've got a future, Courtney. I, I think it's just so on point. Like, you almost, like, I, I really thought that was Delilah there for a second with that smooth, like, honestly, that's like what a jazz radio station disc jockey sounds like. If so, I, I mean, could you actually, are on your way. Like, if I could pronounce basic words, I could probably get a, a career on NPR, but I don't think I'm smart enough to be able to read. Uh, one person that is smart enough is Sarah Spain. Don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by our very own Sarah Spain and Fueled. By Gatorade, we appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and, frankly, everywhere. Whatever path takes you to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Uh, So far, we don't have greatness yet in the Thursday night football game. We do have aggressive play calling, though, as the Cowboys aggressively went forward on fourth down and uh, no go. So it's now going to be Saints ball. Uh, We are scoreless in that game so far. It is early on in that we are not scoreless when it comes to you guys chiming in about Christmas music. We asked what your go-to kickoff of the Christmas season song is. Kaz, one of our favorite listeners, said, This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. I also like, uh, Shireen says, Burl Ives, it's not to, It's not Christmas time until I hear Burl Ives' Holly Jolly Christmas. Like These are all the old school mm-hmm. versions, but it always makes... I, I think about this every year, Courtney. Follow me, because like, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I've had one too many Flintstones when I think about this, but like... It's amazing how all of the standards now at one point had to be new songs. And it's so hard for new Christmas songs now to break through because they're all they just it it feels weird. You want to go back and listen to the old like Sinatra stuff or Nat King Cole stuff and all you want to go back and listen to like the older sounding stuff. So the new stuff doesn't have as good of an easy an opportunity to break through. Yeah. So like was that if we were to look at like the true era that these songs were written, would it have been like the 40s through the 60s like when you talk about new christmas songs honestly i can't really name any off the top of my head i mean i'm sure there's a taylor swift song about somebody who broke her heart on christmas eve and and wrecked her wrecked her new year's day um that's probably out there and probably a hit but i don't know it like what are the new christmas songs because when you and i were talking you know before the show and i was trying to jog my brain of like well what do i what do i really like what do i what do i listen to and i would think back to the early 90s like there were a couple things john denver's christmas special that my dad vhs um recorded <laughs> on a vhs and he ended up cutting off halfway through because he recorded peanuts uh the chris charlie brown christmas special that i mentioned earlier I think of Christmas music that's like one of my like first triggers when i think of christmas music and then Beyond that, and I had to dig deep for this one. I had to ask, uh, you know, somebody like that I know, like about uh, what is called this alligator stomp. It was a Cajun Christmas CD that we used to listen to in my dad's um, in my dad's car. You'd have like the the six player CD player, and there was one that was just dedicated to Christmas music. You'd pop it in, and that Cajun Christmas thing rolled around every year in December when we'd pull it out of the attic and you know put it in. And I was just like, those are the, the only things I remember. And that's from the 90s. Like, I don't I, I don't know new Christmas music or new... I mean, there's new Christmas movies on Netflix every night. But I can't think of new Christmas music. I think Kelly Clarkson, you know, she puts out... She's put out a couple of songs. So I think she... Underneath the Tree is what the one is called that they play all the time now. So that one's kind of broken through. And, you know, I, I mean, it's not new anymore. But uh, that it only makes it more substantial what Mariah Carey was able to do even in sure. the 90s when she put out her Christmas CD, because it's just, you're right, 90% of this music, it feels like, came from 
you know, the, the war eras and the 40s and 50s and, you know, so much of it is sad, like the I'll be home for Christmas concepts and, and everything like so it becomes tougher and tougher to uh, to to break through. Maybe you know, maybe I'll I'll, I'll pull up a Spotify li- a Spotify list and try to find only new Christmas music, and that'll last like six minutes, and then I'll realize I'm just going to go with the the timeless classics. It, it, it's just it's I'm going to end up repeating myself. No offense yet in this Thursday night football game uh, to to note, but we are going to have a lot of offense this weekend. I want to hit a little bit on a couple of these games since we're not on tomorrow, but I'm trying to figure out what the reasonable statement will be to make out of whatever we get from the Patriots and the Bills, right? Because it feels like if the Patriots go in and just thwack Buffalo, then this level of New England hype is going to get to like just that level of stomach churning gross. But if the Bills do the same to New England, we're going to all be right back on the hype train for the Bills. I mean, I, I keep looking at this game saying the conversation changes depending on who plays better in that one. Yeah, and I mean, just the overall narrative about the Patriots the last month or so after their pretty dull start to the season and where they're at. And, you know, you're looking at Bill Belichick turning this thing around and Mac Jones dominating the rookie conversation. Um, And I think this Buffalo team, given when they play the Patriots in this back half stretch, I mean, they've got them twice. So you're not going to just see it once. You're going to be seeing it again. And with Josh Allen trying to vie for an MVP – he can't have another Jacksonville-type performance if he wants to remain in like the top three for that award because it does feel very wide open right now. This is a good chance to do it, but you're doing it against a team that schemes literally to take away your strength. And I know that that sounds so cliche, but a lot of teams at this point in the season just do what they're capable of because of injuries and because of personnel, whatever. Bill Belichick is going to pull out every trick in the book on Monday Night Football to – try to make it you know try to make this one incredibly difficult so they can capture the AFC East and, and thwart Buffalo from where they're at at seven and four right now because the Patriots are eight and four and they're hot they are getting hot at the right time I just can't I just can't with that you know like they've had too many nice things for too long I mean the the the, the Patriots fan base at this point is the fan like they're the group of fans that they've won the lottery like they're your neighbor that won the lottery like four times and then just want to scratch off too. like you just you look at it and say when is the good good stop like I, I just I, I can't wrap my head around that uh, by the way Taysom Hill looks like he may have banged up his throwing hand uh, on a defender's arm so keep an eye on how Taysom looks as the game moves forward another game that I think obviously huge playoff implications are the Chargers and the Bengals and I'm having a hard time figuring out how good the Chargers are because Frankly, their offense looks unstoppable at times, and then it just seems to just stall out. And for no good reason, it feels like there are long periods where the Chargers struggle to move the football. I expected really great things from the Chargers this year, and it's funny because of all the teams in the AFC West and and as compacted as it is right now, I feel like the most disappointing team out of that division so far has been L.A. because I thought that they were capable of much better than 6-5 and five at this point, especially with the amount of hype we saw for Justin Herbert coming into the season. I do, I do too, and I think everybody's going to make a big deal out of the offense with the Chargers and what's wrong with it Like because I thought the same thing too, but then you know, I covered a game out there week 10 of the season between the Vikings and the Chargers, and it's their defense can't get off the field. Like They are so bad defensively that it's – bleeding over into what they're trying to do offensively and playing possession football. And, you know, I think this is a a chance to kind of gauge, all right, is this, is this a team that's going to have an early exit wildcard weekend or can they, can they hang around? Because 
you need to see that offense carry what they're doing defensively because they're terrible against the run. You know, I expect, you know, Joe Mixon is just going to just like gash through them on these five yard, on these five yard gains. Um, and this is going to be a true measuring stick for them to figure out, okay, where do they stand not only in the AFC West, but against other teams that they're going to be facing potentially, you know, four or five, six weeks from now. Yeah, and by the way, don't look now, but Cincinnati's 7-4, and four, and at yep. some point we're going to have to start giving them respect. I mean, they're right in it. Another quick one Sunday night, Chiefs-Broncos. I know we've talked a yes, lot about that flex. this week, but this that's a hell of a game. Like, the Broncos getting no respect for where they are right now. No, I mean, I don't think anybody thought they'd be 6-5 and because it's like, well, then why are you trading away your best pass rusher if you think you're a playoff team? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me, but, mm -hmm. you know – the AFC West is back. I mean, they, again, we're talking about the Chargers, talking about the Broncos and the Chiefs. Like, it's fun when that division is really good at football. You, you, you left the team. You left the team I, I know, out I'm there. Sorry. I'm sorry. Well, when the Raiders beat the Washington football team on Sunday, the nation is going to rise up and take note of how good Las Vegas is. Uh, like, like, just let me have nice things, y'all. Like, I, I don't, I don't need to face my reality till after the game. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.